We are in John chapter 6, verses 51 through 60. Today is the last Sunday after Pentecost in the church calendar, so that means next Sunday we enter into Advent, and we will be in an Advent series. We'll take a break from John. Jesus has some interesting words for us tonight before we make that break and, and focus on baby Jesus. John 6, verses 51 through 60. I want to talk about the mouth of faith tonight. Verse 51, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which the ancestors ate and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in a synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Christ, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the hearts to experience you now. Show us how to see. Show us how to know what is really there. Please, I pray you would reveal yourself to us. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter why we're here, I pray for a transformative experience right now. In Christ's name, amen. So when... Verse 60 tells us that, and this wasn't the 12 disciples, this was all the followers, anyone who was following Jesus right now. When it says that they found this teaching difficult and said, who can accept it? We need, I think most of us need to rethink what it must have been like to hear this. We've heard this a lot. I'm afraid so much that we're not even hearing it now. These people, in the Greek, it's, it's clear they were offended. So two, two things comes out in the Greek. They, were, they thought this was weird teaching, and they were offended by it. Now, it's, it's weird because Jesus just keeps doubling down. You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And this wasn't like some sort of heavy metal Ozzy Osbourne event on stage, although it sounds like it. It's gruesome. It's bloody. This is weird teaching. And he, he just leans in. Before this, he said, you got to eat my flesh. 
And then he repeats it more and more, just doubling down. In case you didn't hear me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Now, the reason they find this offensive is they're Jews. And one of the most unclean things in existence is blood. To be a Jew meant you were to avoid blood, touching it, much less drinking it. So this is why they were offended. And Jesus even uses the word for eat. Uh, it's, it's sort of a, a crass word. It's a very descriptive word that, that means munch or chew, uh, maybe gnaw. Like it was a word typically applied to the, the sound that animals make when they're chewing. So Jesus, going for some shock value perhaps, here's what we have to do. We, as it happened at the prison this morning, and this was so great, this lady raises her hand, and she grew up in a, in a church and had been told sort of how to, to metaphorically understand this. And she said, Okay, so, but what Jesus is talking about is the Bible, right? When, when Jesus says to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he means like the, the word as in the Bible. And I, I looked at her and I said, no. She said, she said, she asked, does he mean this? I said, no, it's not what he means. But that is probably what a lot of us grew up hearing, right? Here's the problem with that. The Bible didn't exist when Jesus said this. As in the New Testament, where this is written, was, was not yet in a Bible to, for it to be applied to. These people know that, clearly. They didn't have a Bible on, on their shelf at home to apply this teaching to. They knew it. That was the furthest thing from their mind. They heard Jesus. They, they understood that he actually meant, in some way, something very physical, something embodied. This is why they say, another way to put it is, who can hear this or who can accept it? So, Jesus, the application here, uh, if you hear nothing else, and this may, may kind of stretch slash offend some of us here, the application for this isn't the Bible. I used to think that too. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's actually talking about himself in some way. He's talking about, in some way, we have to consume Christ, the resurrected Christ, the living, breathing, embodied Christ. We have to somehow consume him in order to find life in ourselves, as verse 57 says. Here's what Jesus is doing. This is, this is mysterious. This is, I'm, I'm still, I think, growing in my own understanding of this. But it's meant to shock us, and I want to try to bring that back into the teaching as it was meant. This is what Jesus is, Jesus is doing. This is what he's always doing. He's, he's not telling us what to know or, or what to see. That's not what he's trying to do. What he's trying to do is show us how to know and how to see. So he doesn't give answers. In fact, he, he asks so many more questions 
than, than giving answers. He's trying to get us first to understand it's as if we live in a dark room. We can't see what is really there with the naked eye. We can't. It would be like walking into this room. It's pitch black. Now, all these pews are here, and you're stumbling over them. You're, you know, you're hitting the, this podium down here. There's stuff there that we're kind of rubbing up against, but we can't see it. We don't really even know what it is. This is our existence at the, in a fallen world. This is our existence as human beings. We can't really know what is there. We can't really see what is there unless we know how to know and how to see. And so Jesus is, we're meant to take this teaching at face value, which forces us now to rethink how we know and how we see. And this is exactly what he's trying to do. There, there is a way to turn the light on so that you see everything that's there. It's revealed. That light, the light switch, is faith. Namely, faith in this one, Christ. When we feed with the mouth of faith, not just the, the teaching of Christ, but the very way of Christ, the way he lived, when we live into that, Jesus promises us we will see. We will finally see what has always been there. But this, this is a reprogramming to be, begin to understand epistemology, the study of knowledge, how we know things, by first understanding faith precedes seeing. If you want to see what's really there, you have to first believe. And then you will see. It doesn't remain blind. You will see is the promise. And so with this as our operating system, which is a new operating system, it's not how we operate, and especially in the West, we will then begin to see what is really there. We will begin to see this Christ. Here's what I think Jesus is trying to get us to know. Specifically, he wants us to know that we are connected to God. Like we are actually connected to God. Partakers of divinity, as it says in Second Peter 1. But in order to know that, you have to first figure out how to know anything. In order to see that, that you're connected to God, you have to, we have to be retold how to see. And it's not with our naked eye. It's not with our brain. It's not with our intellect. It's with our bodies and our souls. So these are the two headings that I want to look at today. We know, specifically, we know that we are connected to God first with our bodies. So this teaching, one thing Jesus is clearly doing is he's bringing some esoteric theology and even the practice of communion. There's a clear connection there, as I've, I've t- said before. He's bringing it down to earth. He, he is giving us a very, a very earthy, physical spirituality, which is something else we have to relearn because we've been, bought a, we've been sold a, a, a bill of goods. And we've bought it hook, line, and sinker. This notion that to be holy and to be spiritual uh, doesn't have to do with this world and these bodies and this earth. And Jesus is, in one fell swoop, he's dismantling that whole epistemology or worldview. He's bringing 
theology that sometimes tends to stay in our heads down into the physical, into our bodies, into the material. He's, he's sanctifying matter is what he's doing by talking about his body the way that he is. And he, he's also saying he's, he's undoing some of these old uh, Jewish laws and systems which sought to pursue holiness by avoiding certain things and avoiding certain people. Jesus is now sanctifying it all. How how did Jesus do this? By taking on flesh. How did God do this? The word, the word logos, not not the Bible, (laughs) the, the grain of the universe, the creator took on flesh. Sanctifying matter what is physical, sanctifying everything. And so there's a, there's a real sense where, yes, you, you need to actually, I mean, you are what you eat. That's real. Y'all, y'all know that? I mean, science is proving this more and more, that you are actually what you eat. Whatever, whatever, whatever our diet is, it, it ends up, it, it changes our system. And so Jesus is saying, you need to eat me. You need me in your system in order to understand who you are what is real. And so he's, he's using this very fleshly, very physical language. The physical is holy. Now, how many of us grew up hearing that in church, if you grew up in church at all, thinking that, uh, uh, let's, that heaven is meant to be thought of in terms of what is physical and material, what is even now and, and later Right, this is, these, are, these are concepts. We have to rethink these things in order to see and receive what Jesus is teaching. But he's telling us the physical is holy, sacred, and good because it too is connected to God. Everything that is came from God. So this is an important distinction. I'm not saying this pulpit is God. I am saying it comes from God. If it exists, if it has... If, Whatever has being comes from this, the source of life. It's all holy. It's all good. All things, all people are inherently holy and good. Friends, this has a lot of ramifications for when we have that negative self-talk with ourselves or when we hear it from others, doesn't it? No, no, no. We're, we're meant to, that is not the voice of God ever. And we're meant to now listen to the voice of God and talk back to those lies, those accusations, and, and set them straight. No, no, I, I'm, by, my primary identity is human being, which means I am connected to God. I have divine DNA. I'm made in the image of God. That's our reference point now for understanding ourselves. It changes everything. It also changes how we view our neighbors, doesn't it? Changes how we view the environment, earth. All that is, is holy and good, inherently good. And so Jesus is saying, you need a fleshly spirituality, a physical one, a material one. And so the word, the logos, takes on flesh to show us that. And then he says, you need to consume me. You need to eat me in order for you to understand and see what is real. The supreme example, it definitely is, is Holy Communion. And 
at Holy Communion, there is something, I believe, that is, that is special going on there. There's, the presence of Christ is real in a, in, a, in a vivid way, even in the bread and the wine, because it's all of God. And so as we feed these elements and drink the wine and the juice with the mouth of faith, we are actually being able to see better what has always been there what has been there all along. We're able to experience it more. In one sense, we are just eating bread and drinking wine, but in, a, in another, even, even more real sense, we, we're eating and drinking Christ. Because 1 Corinthians 15.28 says this is, this is reality. God is all and in all. That's what 1 Corinthians 15.28 says. That's the mission of Christ is to... Is to enable us to realize this, and in some way to uh, redeem that. This is the whole mission of Christ, and it, it is happening. It is happening. Christ came some 2,000 years ago to do that. He has come, and God is filling now all and in all. So St. Augustine, you know, that early uh, African bishop in, in the church, can say something like this. We must feed the body of Christ to the people of God until they know that they are what they eat and they are what they drink. That is, people connected to God. Our bodies tell us this. Our bodies tell us this. If you, if you know how to listen. Lastly, we, we know we're connected to God also with our souls. Our souls tell us this. Uh, this inner consciousness, this inner voice of love in particular tells us this. I want to read, this is John 14, verses 16 through 26, same book, same author, and this is a, the, another teaching of Jesus that I think kind of grounds this understanding, something else that we have not been taught very well at all in the American church at least, is, is how to listen to the voice within, to listen to our soul. If we, if we come from God, well, that God is, we need to learn how to listen to God who is within. Scripture is only meant to verify, in a sense, what, what we hear in our hearts. So I want to try to walk us through this. But this is, this is the teaching from Jesus. L- listen for this in, in this teaching here. John 14, 16 through 26, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now, now world, don't think of people necessarily. Think this is a system. A worldly system does not see Christ. And Jesus is trying to show us how to see Christ. He says, you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you, Jesus says. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Okay, here's what that means. 
by living the way Christ lived, following his teaching, living the way Christ lived, which is, which is another way of saying when we live according to love, particularly unconditional, radically inclusive love, it has to be unconditional. It has to be um, this radical acceptance and, and inclusivity. When we live our life that way, Jesus is saying, you will see me. Guess what? You'll see Christ in others. You'll see, you see, you, you don't see Christ with the naked eye. You feel Christ. You experience Christ with the body, with the soul. He's meant to be experienced we need, we need different eyes to see. But the promise is when you live this way, when you follow Christ according to the way, he will be manifested. You will know him. You will experience him. That's what he's saying when he says, if you keep my commandments, you will know me, right? He continues in, in this teaching. Verse 22, there was another, another Ju- Judas, not Iscariot, as John points out. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love him or love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you you of all that I have said to you. So there's a promise. We have this Spirit, this inner consciousness, this the advocate, the Holy Spirit, yes, your soul right here, are we listening? Do we know how to listen? The promise is we have all that we need right here in our bodies and in our souls. I'm afraid, at least for me, that I, I, I haven't really known how to listen. I've always had this kind of like little voice that, that I'm trying to give more credence to more and more, but... Um, Frankly, I was in religious spaces where I was told not to listen to this voice, particularly the voice that, that said, no, you're supposed to love that person, <laughs> even though I was being told for various reasons that I wasn't supposed to. You're supposed to include that person. You know, I was being told to really shut the door on, the, on this person. You see, now we begin to learn how to, how to understand and hear the voice of God, but, but we, we are... Well, first of all, it just sounds, this is what Richard War says in Breathing Underwater. Uh, he says, it sounds too good to be true that we could have this voice inside of us. And so, guess what? We don't believe it's there. Not to listen to that voice. Of course, when religious spaces and institutions tell us not to listen to that voice. So we have to relearn this. This is the actual quote from, from Richard Rohr. He says, talk about being well-equipped for life from a secret inner source, it really is too good to believe, and so we didn't. Our soul is a living inner consciousness that we all share, but upon which we have not been taught to rely or allow to guide us. 
And then, and then push comes to shove. And some of you, I'm sure at some point you get there where rubber meets the road and it's like you, you finally go with your gut. Even though these institutions are saying something contrary. And you know what, friends? You are right to do that. Here's how you, here's the voice to listen. Here's how to know it's the voice of God. This is a, I've, I've talked about this some before, but I'll, I'm going to talk about it again. This is how we know our soul is talking. It will be motivated by love for all things. It, it must be motivated by love for all people and all things, including love for self, or it's not the voice of God. If there's some other motivation that, that the voice is telling you to exclude, to reject, you know it's not coming from the love of God. And it's not the voice you're meant to listen to. That's when the soul is not speaking, when it's motivated by exclusion, by conditional love. Like you got to clean yourself up or, or play according to these rules before I will show you love. If that's the voice you're hearing, it, friends, it is not your soul. It is, it is not the voice of God. It's things instead that lead to intolerance, disdain. And here's especially the fruit of this voice that we listen to oftentimes, and, our, and, it's, and it's foisted upon us. It leads to a frown, <laughs> like, like an unhappy person. It leads to a miserable person. And there's nothing, I mean, the most miserable people I have ever been around are religious people. That's not a coincidence. Okay, how do we know it's the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the, the, the fruit is very different from that. Listen to what Paul says, Galatians 5, and 23. Y'all, y'all probably know this list. It's love. The fruit of the soul, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of this voice leads to peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control even. And then he says, he adds this, Paul does, against such things there is no law. <laughs> Don't let any, anything, any law speak against that. Whatever that law is, it's not coming from God. So, Paul, someone that also says a lot of hard things, but uh, at least I'm finding, I'm finding a newfound love for, for the Apostle Paul, who, as it turns out, was a mystic. And I'm, there are these things that Paul used to say that, that, I, that frankly, I, I just thought I understood and I had no idea. That's true for a lot of Jesus' teaching, too. It's coming to life more and more. And um, so we've got a long way to go to understand these things. But here's one of those mystifying statements of Paul that, that makes sense if you understand what Jesus is doing here, his teaching. And you've heard me quote this many times. I've been in Colossians 3.3. 3. Paul says that our life is hid with Christ. Where? In God. Okay? So, so, just, so what I'm saying, I'm, I'm trying to understand that. I'm not saying anything different than what Paul is saying there. But if we want to experience that life within ourselves, we must consume Christ. Christ must be our North Star, must be our center point. We're all chasing some North Star. We can't help but do it. What Jesus is saying is, if you make your North Star 
Christ and feed and live off of Christ, you will experience this life that he has to offer. We must consume Christ in order to experience this life. And so verse 57 right here in our passage, maybe it makes a little more sense now to reread it. So verse 57 says, just as, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so Christ is connected to the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. And this is that, this is that amazing thing that happens is we're being told we become connected to Christ in the same way that Christ is connected to the Father. Our life is hid with Christ in God. You want to experience and see that you must consume all that Christ is, all that He is. Here's another way of articulating the same thing. Another, another in- interesting statement by Paul. I'm just going to read this and then I'm done. I just want this to land, however it lands. This is Second Peter one three and four. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Thus he has given us, through these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. That's that addiction to ego, the, the desire which actually moves us away from our true self, and instead realize or become participants of the divine nature. Participants, partakers, partners, sharers of the divine nature. Friends, I know a lot of what I'm saying is stretching. I know I'm like a moving target, and I'm sorry because I'm following a moving target. He, that is Christ, is infinite. Therefore, in order for me to follow him, I must keep moving. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And I know this is stretching. I know this can be, it's probably maybe even offensive to some. Like these early disciples may be hard to take. But I am just sharing this with you because I love you. And this is, the more we realize we are partakers of divinity, I don't know, the more you'll begin to experience the life that Christ has to offer. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would take my words and, and enable my friends now to not, not just listen to me, but to measure what they've heard with their bodies, with their souls, certainly with scripture. And I pray all this with this goal in mind that, that we would experience the life that you promise, not just when we die, but, but right now, life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.